This morning I invite your attention to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. As we look together at the next part of our text, as we look together at the, the next text in sequence of where we've been, I think you'll begin to see that our text today and the matter at hand today offers some incredible things to us. Joy, comfort, and hope. These are incredibly familiar words from Scripture as we look at 1 Thessalonians 4. As we look at them together, I think that you'll begin to see some amazing thoughts. Now, let me, let me just give you a, a sliver of background. We've gone over it almost each week over the last several weeks. Paul is writing to a church that he had started. He'd spent very little time with them. The Bible says in Acts that he labored three Sabbaths. So he was there for three weeks. He reasoned with them about Jesus. Many were saved, and now they're facing persecution but it's a church that embraced Jesus Christ and the resurrection immediately in fact so much so that many of them quit their jobs went to mountaintops and waited for Jesus to come back right then they anticipated him coming at any moment I don't know about you but the more I live in this society the more that I want to have that kind of expectation oh Lord Jesus please come back even so Lord come quickly Paul had to readjust their thinking and say that the coming of Jesus Christ may not be immediate, but it's imminent. It is coming, and because of that, it ought to change the way that we live today. So that's what we've been talking about. Paul has talked to them about how they live. Now, I want to do something right off the bat. I, I've already shared with you that this brings comfort, hope, and joy, but I want you to write two more words somewhere on your notes. There's not a lot of room at the top. You may have to flip it over. I want you to write these two words. Let's put them up on the screen. Here's what I want you to see. My desire is that you would embrace and exalt. Embrace and exalt. The passage we're going to read today comes with some marching orders. They're implied, and here's what they are. Embrace Jesus personally and exalt Him publicly. When we read a text like the, the one that we're going to read today, it ought to drive you to a place where you say, I want to be found in Christ. I will embrace Him personally. And I want everybody that I come in contact with to know Him. So I want to exalt Him publicly everywhere that I go. Thought, word, action. I want to focus on Him. You got it? That was about six of you. You got it? It ought to bring peace Comfort, joy, hope, and it ought to lead you toward embracing Christ personally and exalting Christ publicly. Now let me go a little farther and fill one more blank in for you. If we'll go on, our text today is a word of comfort and hope. And I can't overemphasize that today. I want you to hear me. This is a, a specific word for several people that are here today. In fact, there's a word for all of us, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would take these words. But for every person who has experienced the loss of a loved one in Christ, you, you've experienced grief, pain, sorrow, loss. I, I want to speak to you this morning. Maybe for some of you that's fresh. I, I want to speak to some of you this morning that have lost a child. Maybe perhaps even to miscarriage. But before 
they saw the light of this world. Life was given. We believe from Scripture life begins at conception. We know that the Bible says that God knit me before I, I, in my mother's womb. He, he knew me in my mother's womb. He knit me together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to speak a word to you today from the Word that might bring comfort and hope. In fact, we're still in our series the DNA of HSBC. And the reason why is because hope ought to be one of the foundational words of all that we do as a church. If hope is not injected into the DNA of our church, we are, uh, of all people, to be most pitied. We, we would be miserable. But I don't know about you, I have hope. And because I have hope for tomorrow, I have joy and peace and confidence today. And so that's where we are today. And as we look at this text, I believe there's a word. In fact, I, I just want to carry it a little further. I, I don't know about you, but I oftentimes think about this holocaust of abortion. Since 1973, 50 million lives snuffed out. What, what happens to those lives? What becomes of those lives? And perhaps there's someone today who has made that choice and you live with a weight of regret. Or you live with unanswered questions because of a miscarriage or a stillbirth or losing a child early on or losing a child at any age. You just struggle with the issue of death. Well, I'm not here today to preach to you about death. I'm here to enlighten you about the hope that we have in Christ. And that's what our text today will do. So turn with me to this passage of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. Let's look at this together. But we do not want to, you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, who are, then the, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And he finishes with these words. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The title of my message today I've given is The Great Gathering. The Great Gathering, and I took the title from 2 Thessalonians 2.1. I put it on the screen, I want you to see this. Dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord. He's saying, let me make sure you've got this in your heart and in your mind. And he goes on to say how we will be gathered to meet Him. I love that thought. Think with me of the words of Jesus. I go to prepare a place. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, what's next? You will also be there. You will be with me. The gathering. 
In another place in the Gospel of Matthew, it says that the Son of Man will come in power and glory. And listen to this. It says He will send out angels and they will gather His elect from the four winds. The words of Scripture are clear. God will gather His people. He will gather those that have trusted Christ. In fact, this gathering has already started. I want you to think with me for a moment. If you look back in Genesis 25 and 35 and 49, I put some verses there for you. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's said of each of them that they lived to a ripe old age, they lived their lives, and then they were gathered to their people. The gathering is taking place even as we speak. Every single day when a believer dies, he's gathered home to be with the Lord. I've had plenty of people in my life, family and friends, who have been gathered up by the Lord. And Paul speaks to this church thousands of years before this day, and he says to them something that you and I need to hear. He said, I want to clarify some things. I do not want you to be ignorant about those who have gone on before, those who have fallen asleep. We know that that notion of sleep is often a euphemism used for death. It's a a softening, if you will, a little bit. But the idea is not of soul sleep. And by the way, let me put in an infomercial. We are doing a series on Wednesday nights on heaven, and we would love for you to be a part of it. We've dealt with some of those kinds of issues, and we'll continue to uh, over the coming weeks. And I'd love for you to be a part of that. If you have opportunity, you can learn more of that. We can't address all of the topics today, but here he's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. I had a seminary professor who would always quote this in the King James, and he would say, I would not have you ignorant brethren. And we always wondered if he was actually just talking about us as a class. He was just saying, I wouldn't have you ignorant brethren. But the reality is Paul is just saying, I don't want you to be misinformed. I don't want you to be off in your thinking. I don't want you to fret, and here's why, because I want you to be motivated to comfort one another with these words. That's exactly what he said. And I think the implication goes back to what I told you before. Paul was saying to the church at Thessalonica, I want every single one of you to embrace Christ personally, and I want you to exalt Him publicly. And so if you'll hang on to this notion, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were gathered. The saints of God will be gathered. Here in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2.1, we see that notion. There's going to be a great gathering, and I want to clarify that for you so that you'll see it. I love that description. They'll be gathered together. In fact, I would say it this way. Christ will gather His people and take us home. Christ will gather His people and take us home. Now, as we read our text today, I want you to think with me through this. God is speaking directly to Christian believers who have lost loved ones. He says, brethren, I would not want you, I would not desire for you to be ignorant, for you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. I want you to hear this, and this is what he says. Your believing loved ones who have died in Christ will come back with Jesus on that day. That's a great place to insert an amen, by the way. Hallelujah. Those that we love and we grieved and we've mourned over, we went to the funeral home, we came to a place like this, a a, a sanctuary, a place set aside for worship, and we grieved as we looked at their earthly shell, knowing that they were no longer here. But in verse 14 it says, If we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so He will bring those with Him who have fallen asleep in Jesus. 
I mean, that is proof positive right there. One text that says those who are in Christ that have gone before us are coming back. You'll see them again. What a glorious thought of reunion. And then verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So the ones that are still here alive today in Christ, will be caught up to meet them in the air. In Christ is a very, very important prepositional phrase. The primary point of this whole passage is to bring comfort and clarity, and it's a catalyst for hope. You see, we begin to think about this idea of maybe your mother, your father, a brother or a sister, a child or a grandchild that you've lost. If in Christ they left this world, if you're not taken from this world into the presence of Jesus before that great day, you'll see them again. Your first joy will be seeing Jesus, your Redeemer, your Savior. Oh, but I believe with all of my heart that you're Continued joy will be seeing those loved ones who have gone before. And Paul says at the end of this chapter, verse 18, comfort one another, encourage one another with these words. Now, what a marvelous day of reunion this will be in this great gathering of God is completed once for all. Again, it's been started, it's been going on, it's going on even today. But there's coming a day, one day, when all of the great gathering of God is completed in a moment. And it's very clear from this passage that Christians who knew each other on earth will know each other in heaven. And there's been a lot of widespread speculation and debate. And I, I want to tell you this, I'm struck by and, and troubled by so many Christians that are unsettled in this matter in their, their hearts and their minds. They, it, it keeps them from having anticipation. Many of you perhaps think of heaven as this shadowy existence of, of floating around uh, in an ethereal world on a cloud and you look at that and you just begin to say, I'm not sure that I necessarily want to go there. Maybe there's fear because of that unknown element. But as you think about it, you, you, or perhaps you don't think about it until you come to the place of being bereaved and you struggle. So here's what I want to do. I want to bring clarity today. I want to give you three suggestions why Christians are so unclear about this matter. And I really just want to break this down as simply as I possibly can, and we'll walk through, again, the truth of this text and see it together. Are, we, are you okay with that? Wonderful. For those of you that said amen, here we go. Number one, I believe that many people are unsettled in their hearts about heavenly things and future things because they've not thought deeply about the resurrection. They've not thought deeply about the resurrection. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, here's what I mean. We do have these foggy ideas of this shadowy compensation for those that are perhaps too old or too weak to live in this world where all the action is. But we don't think through the resurrection. The resurrection is not just a resurrection of the spirit. The resurrection is a resurrection of the body. And we will live on the new earth. And again, Wednesday night would be a great time to learn about those things. But Jesus was given a resurrection body. He ate. He touched them. He embraced them. They touched his hands and his side. He fellowshiped with them and they knew him. Now, when you begin to put those things into perspective, you start to say, wait a minute, I'll actually know them. 
If you go to heaven and don't know the people that you are in relationship with here on earth, you're not the one going to heaven. It would be a semblance of something like you. But you are made up of the relationships, the people that are in your life are a great part of who you are. There's a good word for parents right there. Make sure that your, your kids are hanging out with the right crowd. Bad company corrupts good character. That's a side note for a later sermon series. But, but think about the people in your life. Are you hanging out with negative, grumbling, complaining types? If you can't think of any, maybe the one sitting next to you is looking at you. Are you a grumbling, complaining, murmuring type? Don't be that person. But when we get to heaven, are we going to be smarter or dumber? This is audience participation time. Do you think our memories would just be wiped away? Certainly not. We're going to give an account for our entire lives. And if we've got to give an account, our memory's not going to be wiped. It'll be heightened. And we will know one another. And I think when we begin to think of the resurrection in those concrete terms of what God has in store for us, it changes our anticipation. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, about those that have gone on ahead. They're going to come again, and you will know them. And the whole of Scripture paints a wonderful, beautiful picture of relationships eternally. Now as we think about those relationships eternally, I want us to just think about this notion of what we do know from Scripture. The Christian hope is far more than survival of the soul, but a resurrection of the body. If you think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus said many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Identifiable people. On the Mount of Transfiguration, here's Moses and Elijah. And, and the apostles, the disciples that had never even met them, saw them and knew who they were. Isn't that cool? I think that's amazing to think we will know each other. Jesus appears to the disciples in his resurrection body and they knew him. We're talking about identifiable people. Christians will know each other in heaven, but we will enjoy one another in heaven. Think about the resurrection. Love the Lord with your mind. Think, Christian, think. Because the Bible says that the greatest thing that we can do is to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. And sometimes we stop with heart and soul and have these emotional warm fuzzies and say, oh, I love the Lord. But the truth of Scripture gives us great confidence and hope in the future. And we've read two verses that ought to bring to your mind a great sense of joy when it says, those who have gone on before us will come again with Him. And we who remain will be caught up to be with them forever. Number two, I believe many people have misunderstandings, misgivings about future things. And here's why. They have misunderstood relationships in heaven. Now we don't have time to unpack all of this, but I want you to take in one thought. In Mark chapter 12 verse 25, you don't have to turn there, but write that down. Jesus said these words, and this confuses a lot of people. It disturbs a lot of people. Jesus said, For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. And some Christians think of this somehow to mean that we're no longer male and female, or we're no longer in relationship. But what makes you, you will continue. But there is no marriage in heaven between individuals. There is a marriage in heaven. It's Christ, the bridegroom, and His bride, the church, eternally in one 
corporate setting, worshiping the Lord together, enjoying relationships together. And some of you say, well, I just don't know if I like that. You'll know one another. You will have relationship with one another. But here's the idea. In Revelation 7, 9, it says, He will gather from every tribe, tongue, race, people, nation, every ethnicity for Himself a people. And I want you to hear this. All that makes us wonderfully different will remain. All that divides us will be overcome. All that makes us different will remain. The beautiful diversity and creativity of God and creation will remain in heaven just as it was in Eden. And all that divides us will be taken away. And in fact, that's going to lead us. Well, let, let me just let me stay there for a moment. Think about this. Language divides us, does it not? Does it not? I'll never forget my first trip to South Asia. I, I barely have a good grasp on English. And so now I'm in, in a foreign land. And of course, the way that you translate Southern English, South Mississippi Southern English, into Nepali or into Hindi is to speak slower and louder. And somehow they'll understand better. No, it doesn't work. How culturally insensitive am I? But my redneck backwoods self in India spoke very loudly and very slowly, and it didn't work. You know, language is not, it was not a gift from the beginning. It was a judgment at the Tower of Babel. And what did it do? It divided people so that men in their wickedness would not devise schemes to try to reach God. But what happened at Pentecost? Same exact tool. We go from a language separating us to a language that brings us together. Men from all over hearing the gospel, not in their own language, but in their own heart language, their own dialect. I love that. And there's coming a day that a heavenly language, we all will speak together. We will all be together. All that makes us diverse and creatively beautiful in the hands of the maker will be there, will be established and built up. And all that divides us will be gone. Amen. I love the diversity that God has made. You will know yourself. You will know each other. You will know Christ. And you'll enjoy one another. If we went back just a couple of chapters, in chapter 2 we talked about this several weeks back. The Apostle Paul said to the people that he loved. He'd formed this special relationship with them. He said, you'll be my joy and my crown in heaven. What Paul is saying is, you've been my joy here on earth, and you will continue to be my joy in heaven. Jonathan Edwards said that special affection in this world that believers have toward one another will remain in another world. I want this to be settled in your mind. Because it's vital for your comfort and your hope and your expectation. Let me give you a third reason and we're going to walk on through this. Many Christians are perplexed over unsolved problems that plague Christians here on earth. There are disruptions between brothers and sisters. Have you ever had a falling out with another Christian? Have you ever had a difficult time where somebody betrayed you? Have you ever had a time where there was a struggle? Have you ever gone through the dissolution of a marriage through divorce? 
How will God sort all that stuff out, Brother Scott? Pastor, tell me, there's too many unresolved problems and I can't get excited because I don't know how they're going to work out. Here's what I want you to understand. God knows all of those things and He will work them out. The Sadducees came with this same question to Jesus. Jesus, there's this woman and she gets married and her husband dies. And so she gets married again and he dies and again and he dies. I would have probably stopped them at that point and said, y'all need to investigate this woman. But that's another story. Seven times. Now the Sadducees had those kinds of unsolved problems in their mind and they just dismissed the resurrection. Dr. Adrian Rogers said that you'll always remember that they were the ones that did so because they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But here's what they said to Jesus. Whose wife will she be in heaven, in the resurrection? And Jesus tells us that there's not marriage, giving in marriage or, or marriage in heaven, but there is a marriage in heaven, the great marriage. God will resolve all these things. There are times, though, that there are unresolved problems. Paul goes one way and Mark and Barnabas another Marriages break down. How is it possible for Christians to be happy in heaven when they've made one another quite miserable here on earth? One simple word. When we see Christ, we will be as He is. J.C. Ryle said in heaven there will be a company of Christians in which there is no squabbling or discord. Every man's graces fully developed and every man's besetting sins dropped off like beech leaves in spring. Isn't that beautiful? In heaven you'll be so amazed at how much you look like Jesus and you'll have so much joy overflowing in your heart that you find the same likeness in Jesus in your brothers and sisters, even those who caused you pain here on earth. I don't understand that fully, but I know that it's true from Scripture. We see this sense of God wiping away every tear. We won't need, I love this, one commentator said, we won't need to plow over the past when we are so full of the present glory and so different from how we are right here and now. Some of you are cantankerous. Some of us are cantankerous. But there's coming a day that God's grace will be complete in our cantankerous bunch that we will be so overjoyed in the fullness of Jesus that we will love one another and the division will be gone. God can solve unresolved problems. Amen? Let's continue just a little bit further. There's another unsolved problem, and this is a, a word for everybody. And I know our time is running short, but I want us to hang on to this together. Go back to that question. What about children that die in infancy? What about those babies that were murdered through abortion? What about a miscarriage, a stillbirth? What about those things, Pastor? Those that began in the womb and never came to live here on this earth. I, I want to be very sensitive here, and I don't want to brush through, but when Paul is saying to them, I don't want you to be ignorant about those that have fallen asleep. I think that we must address those kinds of things because it helps us to love the Lord with our minds. A couple of places in Scripture I'll take you. In Samuel, there's a description of David. You know that he'd had a, an affair with Bathsheba. There was a child that was conceived. The child became sick and David begged the Lord to spare his life. 
And the child died. And what did David say? He cannot return to me, but I shall go to him. For me, there's great confidence in the word of God. That those children, those in infancy, will be in heaven. What about the millions of children whose fathers and mothers were not believers? Can they have the the same hope? I mean, here's David with this sense of hope. In Mark 10, 14, you may want to write that down. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. It's not saying childlike faith. He says that in other places, but he is speaking directly of a child. And he says, for such belongs to the kingdom of God. And in another occasion, Jesus called a child to him in the company of his disciples and said, it is not the will of my Father in heaven that one of these little ones shall perish. Now, we need to be very, very careful here. I want you to hear this. This is important. This is theology at 101 for us at some levels as a church family. Now, you said, well, they die and they go to heaven because they're innocent. We need to use the language of Scripture. All die in Adam's sin. No descendant of Adam is innocent. And that baby, if it did not die in its infancy, would grow up and at some point would, would physically die. We believe because of the account of Scripture all the way through in Ezekiel that I will no longer hold you accountable for the sins of your father. There is what I would call an age or a condition of accountability. I think condition's probably better. We've gotten locked up on the word age. Well, what is that age? Is it 8? Is it 12? Is it 15? There comes a point in time where you willfully commit sin on your own. And there are many who never come to that capacity. An infant who has never chosen willfully to rebel against God dies in Adam because of Adam's sin. They die physically. But spiritual death, that separation comes because of us willfully committing sin. Now, as we think about that, it's important for us to say we're not born innocent. We're born under the weight of sin. The the Bible says, I was conceived in sin, not in a, a, a sinful act, but because of sinful humans gathering together, they will progenerate sinful offspring. But the grace of God, I believe with all of my heart, covers completely. This is the will of God, he said, that none of these little ones, not one of these little ones would perish. For such belong to the kingdom of God. And David, in a limited understanding, long before the cross, long before the grace of God demonstrated through the cross of Christ, would say, I can't, he cannot return to me, but I shall go to him. So I think there's great comfort there. There's great encouragement there. Now, I've heard this as well. And and again, we just are, are, are limited in our time. But I think if we got to the place where we had full chapter and verse, this is exactly what happens to an infant when they die, then we wouldn't stop abortion. We wouldn't rally against it. We would say, we'll do evangelism by abortion. As ludicrous as that sounds. I don't want my child to reach the age of accountability. I want to send them to heaven. Some of you have got that mindset now. I brought you into this world and I can take you out. You've thought about it. 
But, but the notion, as, as ludicrous as that may sound, it, it's much like us saying, well, those who have never heard the gospel, God will give them light, and, and so if we, it, it, they'll just be judged by the light that they have. If that's the case, let's close the doors and never tell anybody else about Jesus because if somebody doesn't know now and they're safe because of their ignorance, then when we tell them, we're just condemning people to hell. And that's foolish. We share the gospel because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In the Old Testament, those saints were saved by grace through faith as they looked forward, trusting in a Messiah to come. We look back by faith to His grace that was given to us at the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of Jesus, and we look forward to Him coming again. And we do so with hope. Why? Because we know those who have fallen asleep will come back with Him, and we will be caught up to meet them. I believe with all of my heart that they are not, while not innocent, we can say if we take the Bible seriously that when children die, they go to heaven not because they're innocent, but because of the grace of God. How can they go to heaven? We don't have a direct word from Scripture. It's not about baptism. These things are in the hands of God, not in a human right. But one of the delights of heaven, I believe, for millions of mothers and fathers who conceived a child and was taken before birth or early in life is that they will see that child again. Now, the, the question just continues. Will, will they be babies in heaven? Charles Spurgeon said, You will see that boy, that girl, at the full flower of their potential that everything God had intended them to be. I, I don't understand all of that, but the mystery of being able to see them again and know the, that God had perfectly created them and, and we will know them in relationship is a beautiful thing. I need to close. But I want to speak to those, again, the issue of abortion just for a moment. Let me give you a biblical analogy. Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, sold him into slavery, sold him out for dead, put him in a pit. God delivered him and brought him to the palace of the king. And you know the story. He exalted him and ultimately he rescued his brothers and a nation. And he says, don't be distressed or angry at what you have done. God sent me before you. Listen to this word. The evil that they did to Joseph was great, but the redeemer that saved both Joseph and his brothers is greater. If you trust and embrace Christ, he will wipe away every tear. Outside of Christ, this message brings no hope. Jesus stood over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you together like, like chicks to nest under my wings, but you would not. Ladies and gentlemen, He's reaching out to you today in love. He, he wants to rescue you from your sin today. Don't let it be said of you today, like it was of Jerusalem in that day, you would not. I plead with you, come to the Savior, follow the Savior, love this Savior, let everything go in your life that displeases this Savior and ask Him to make you a new person. Ask Him to cleanse you. Ask Him to redeem you. Ask Him to make you one of His own so that on that day you will come with Him again. 
And you will have the promise of the hope of this resurrection. And on that day, he's going to say to his father, Here I am and the children that you have given me. And you on that day will be one of them. I want to run through something on the screen just so you see this. And this wraps everything up. Some of you who have grieved. I want to give you three tenses of grief when you're a Christian. If you will, I'll go ahead and put those up. It doesn't say in verse 13, 14 that we don't grieve. It says we don't grieve like those who have no hope. It gives us a beautiful, wonderful addition that augments our grief. We cry, we weep, but we look back with thankfulness on all that God's given I've sat at many a funeral and I thought about what that life meant to me. That person invested something in me and I look back with great, great thankfulness. But secondly, I look around with great sadness. They're gone. What am I going to do? I can't tell you how many times a day or a week that I pick up my cell phone to call my dad. (laughs) He's not going to answer. But there's coming a day. He'll come back with Jesus. I look around with sadness. But if we lose sight of what we're talking about, we miss it all. You see, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, but watch this. We look forward with hope because of all of God's promises. We look back at His gifts. We look around with sadness at what He's taken. And we look forward with all He has promised. Hallelujah. Today, follow the Savior. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. It is a time for you to to determine in your heart and your mind to do business with God. I want to trust Him. Sir, madam, come to Jesus today. In fact, we're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. And you may be wanting today to just come to the altar. Praise God for a life that He's given to you in the past that you've lost. And thank God for what He has promised you will experience in the future. And if you've had a weight hanging around you because of a decision that you've made, look up your Redeemer draws nigh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this day. Lord Jesus, I pray that even now that we would have some that would gather themselves to this church. But more than that, we would have some that would be united into the family of God by trusting Jesus Christ so that on that great day they will be in the great gathering. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.